And we've been talking about the soul for the last several weeks, in fact, probably the last month and a half, that we've been talking about really the condition of our soul. And one of the things that I want us all to get is this, that our spiritual maturity is directly connected to our emotional maturity. And so we might think, well, I, I'm, I'm real, I've been around church a long time, I know a lot, that's fine, but it will always be limited by your emotional maturity, your EQ, your ability to manage your own soul. And so we've been talking a lot about the health of our soul up to this point. I wanna turn it a little bit, and I don't wanna just talk about the condition of your soul, but I wanna talk about the condition for your soul to grow. What does it take for our souls to grow? Because once we get to a place of emotional health, with, I, I hope that maybe through all of this, you've actually allowed God to begin to kind of carve away into some of the things in your life. The moment you do that and you get to a place of health, then all of a sudden you've got to have the right conditions for growth. And I want to talk about the importance of our souls growing, the condition, the environment of your soul. In fact, Jesus talked about this. I don't know if you know this, but Jesus talked about it in Matthew chapter 13. He, he talked about the conditions for our soul in a very important parable. Maybe you've heard this parable before. It's a parable where he talked about the sower, the seed, and the soil. I don't know if you've heard this one or not, but I'll just paraphrase it real fast. Jesus said that whenever the sower, that was God, who, who kind of like spreads truth or speaks the gospel, the truth, it says that the condition of our heart or the condition of our soul has everything to do with what comes out of it. And he says sometimes the seed gets sown in our heart or our soul, the condition of the soil can be really hard, hard pan. And he said, what happens is birds come along and they pluck and they pick it up and they take it away. In other words, it's like you, it never gets in. It's gone before it even has a chance to germinate. Then he said, some of us, we have the kind of soil that it's like we've got some dirt, but we got some rocks in there. And, and he says that it actually does not really allow roots to really take. And so the seed will go in, it'll start to sprout something, but it ha doesn't have depth to it. And the moment life comes against it, the moment sun begins to scorch it and challenges come, a lot of times what he's saying is that they will not have the faith to sustain it because they do not have deep roots. A third type of soil that he mentions is he says that some soil has thorns in it. And he says seed will land in it and it will start to grow, but because of the thorns, which he refers to as the cares of this world, the riches of this world, the things we get so caught up in life will actually choke any kind of life and faith out of us. And then he says there's some who have good soil. That's what I want, the real dark and fertile soil. He says when the seed hits that, it grows and it actually produces something multiple times over. And so Jesus is talking about the condition of our soul. Now, why does that matter? Well, I believe that it is absolutely critical if you're going to see any growth in your life. In other words, I think what Jesus really talks about more than anything in there is he talks about the roots. He talks about, like, you've got to have real roots. Like, maybe you heard this phrase, no root, no fruit. If there's no root down in there, there will be no real growth that will come. And here's what I know about all of us. I think we all want to grow. I want to grow spiritually. I want to grow emotionally. I think we all want to grow up, okay, so to speak, in our lives. In fact, I did this uh, assessment. I told you all about it early in this series, this emotionally healthy assessment through Pete Scazzaro, a series of books. We've been promoting one through this whole series. And I took this assessment last year, and I found out that I'm an emotional teenager, and uh, I don't know exactly what that means, but I didn't think it was very good because I'm not a teenager anymore. And so I'm like, whoa, what's wrong? And so I've actually been kind of like on a journey of trying to figure out why is it that I'm kind of not growing up in certain areas of my soul? And why does this matter? Because listen, because the condition of your soul of affects everything. It affects your relationships. It'll affect your marriage. It'll affect your work life. It'll affect your parenting. It affects all of us. And so we need to pay attention to the roots. That's what Jesus said. In fact, if you've got a Bible with you, I would love for you to get it out and open up to Psalm 92. Psalm chapter 92. We were in Psalm last week. I want to dive into Psalm 
92 this week in just three little verses. And I wanna talk about soul roots. I wanna talk about the soil of your life and the roots that are growing from your soul. Psalm 92, verse 12 through 14. I love this psalm. It says this, it says, righteous people do what? Everybody say that word out loud with me. Righteous people flourish. Oh, I love that word. How do they flourish? Like palm trees. Anybody here like palm trees? Hello? My wife's favorite tree is the palm tree. Every time we go to Florida, it's the first thing she points out, look, palm trees. If we could grow palm trees here, we would grow palm trees. Our house would be full of palm trees. But it says, righteous people flourish like palm trees and they do what? Everybody say that out loud. They grow. Everybody say it again. They, they grow tall like the cedars in Lebanon. By the way, I found out those are really, really tall trees, like over 100 feet tall. They grow tall, how? Verse 13, this is critical. It says that they are what? Everybody say that word out loud. They are planted. They are planted in the Lord's house and they blossom or they flourish in our God's courtyards. Verse 14, some of my more mature crowd will like this verse. It says, even when they are old, they still bear fruit. They're always healthy and fresh. I love that. What a promise. And here's what, what I believe this really speaks to, is there's a way in which God created our world. There's a simple but profound way that, that governs every part of our world. And it is this concept, healthy things grow, right? I, I didn't make my daughters grow. We had little kids, I didn't make them grow. Right? All I did was provide the right environment for them. We had to make sure we feed them, make sure they get sleep. We had to make sure they get proper nutrition and they automatically grow. That is what God does. God creates a world where healthy things begin to grow. You know what's good about that? Is when your soul is healthy, guess what? It grows. But how does it grow? This is the key. And this is what I don't want us to miss in this moment, right? Because the right person in the right place produces the right things. But, but what, what does it say that they need to be? It said in verse 13, I don't know if you notice it, it said they need to be planted. Everybody say planted. Planted. They've got to be planted. I brought a plant with me because I, I like the picture of this, right? We all want something to grow out of our lives. I, I wanna grow as a father, I wanna grow as a husband, I wanna grow as a pastor, I wanna grow in my following Jesus. I wanna always be growing, growing as a man, okay? So here's the thing, what we notice is the part that sticks above the surface. That's what we see. When we see something grow, we're like, oh, I see it growing. What we can't see, what you can't see, is what's happening beneath the surface. And I think we all know this. You've been around probably long enough. You planted something. You know that in order for this to grow up, something first has to grow down, right? In order for this to show through, there's got to be roots that grow first underneath. This is the same with your soul. What other people see is this part, the leafy part, the flowering part, the pretty part, the fruitful part. This is what people see. What they don't see, but you know, is what's underneath. That's where the soul lives. And I wanna talk about the soil of your soul. And I believe what Jesus talked about and what we see in Psalm 92 is that we need roots before anything good is gonna grow out of us. And so I wanna share with you today three roots that I think are absolutely critical if you wanna see emotional and spiritual maturity, things come to life out of you. Three roots, I wanna encourage you to write these down work through them, process them, talk about them. The first one is this, we need roots in Christ. We need roots in Christ. Now, let me say this. Um, I have been around enough that I have seen that it is easy, especially in the church, to be around Christ, but not have roots in Christ. There's a difference. To be, to be around an environment where you hear Jesus talked about all the time, and maybe even you would say, I believe, right? I, I've been around enough where I've seen that, where people say, well, I believe. That's great. The Bible says that the demons believe and shudder. That's not what I'm talking about. What, what I'm asking is, do you have roots in Christ? Not I go to church every once in a while and I agree and amen on the message and all this. I'm saying, do you have anything deep within you? Because you can be around. In fact, I want to say this and 
I, I just, I, I, I don't know if this is true in your life, but I really think that sometimes we can actually substitute attendance in church for a real personal relationship with Jesus. We can think, well, I went to church, so I'm good for the week. But can I just tell you, if you only eat one meal a week, you're gonna starve to death. And what I'm saying is you need food, not just on Sunday, but you need food on Monday and on Tuesday and on Wednesday and on Thursday. And so what we will always do is we will always try to encourage you and say, you need to have your own rhythm with Christ. Because if not, let me tell you what kind of soil you'll have. You'll have that shallow kind of soil mixed in with all the rocks. And like Jesus talked about, well, here's the thing. Shallow faith always creates shallow roots. How do I stand through the test of time? How do I make it through calamity? You know what? You need deep roots. And a shallow faith, dip in on a Sunday, that's it, will never create deep roots. Okay, how do we get them? Well, I'm thankful the Apostle Paul actually tells us in Colossians 2. Colossians 2, verse 6 and 7. Let me read this to you. Paul said this, And now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Look at verse 7. It says, Let your what grow down into him. Everybody say it out loud. Let your your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. I want to point out something in this passage I think is really important. He starts off by saying, and now, just as you accepted Jesus Christ, how? As Lord. I want you to think for just a moment what, what it was like when maybe if you're a follower of Jesus, the moment you said yes to him. And I believe there's many in this church that it was in this church that maybe you said yes to him. Where was that moment in your life when it became real for you? Here's what I've discovered. I've been around ministry a long time and around church a long time. What I've discovered is that most of us can go through life and as long as everything is good and we can control every outcome, we will, we will think, I don't need God. But what happens, and this is what causes so many people to get to the point where they begin to reach out for God, is that life does not go that way. And all of a sudden, you might find yourself in a place where you're struggling emotionally, you're struggling in life, you feel the weight of your, your guilt and and conviction on your life because of the things that you've done and you find yourself feeling like I don't have meaning and I don't have significance and I make a lot of money but I'm still not happy and I don't know what's wrong and then somebody will invite you to church or your friend will begin to share their faith and you'll see real joy in their life and you say I want that and so then what happens we we get to a place this is what happens for a lot of people I, I like to describe it maybe the proverbial you get to the end of your rope Ah, there's, I just, it couldn't get any worse. I need rescued. So what do we do when we get to that place, but we, we reach up to God and we say, God, I need you in my life. I imagine that many of you have said that. You've said a prayer, maybe here and with me. You've said, God, I need you. And anytime we do that, we, that's how you begin a relationship with him. You gotta be introduced. And that's what we like to do is introduce people to Jesus. Anytime that happens, that prayer is an introduction. It's, it's where you come face to face with who he is and who you are and the realization that I need him to save me. And so we'll lead you in a prayer. And a lot of times I'll say things like this. Um, why? Because Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you confess in your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you'll be saved. And so we'll say, God, I invite you into my life. I surrender my life to you. I be the Lord of my life. Forgive me of my sin. And let me just tell you, when the moment that happens, man, I, I don't know about you, but something begins to change on the inside. And I don't know if you ever felt it, but there's all of a sudden you might feel peace like you've never felt before. You'll feel a presence that you've never felt before. You'll feel a joy for the first time in your life. You feel like you're in the right place with God. There is no greater feeling than in that moment when you first connect with Jesus. It is life changing. Why? Because you started a new relationship. Whenever you start a new relationship, that's the way it feels. Remember maybe the person that you're with now, you you remember when you fell in love? Do you remember the way it made you feel on the inside? Do you remember how you couldn't stop thinking about them? How it was just so life-changing? Do, do you remember the, maybe the time you said, I do, when you got married and all that leading up to and the way you felt? Incredible, amazing, right? But here's what I know, because I've, 
I've lived long enough and I've been married long enough. Feelings fade. They fade. Doesn't mean love fades, but feelings fade. Emotions change, right? Anybody that's been married any length of time will tell you that. Your feelings will fade. Guess what? The same thing can happen spiritually. I receive it with joy, and your feelings will fade. That's why you need to develop roots. You got to develop roots. Now, what did Paul say? He said, and now, just as you received Jesus as Lord, you must continue to follow him. Now, here's what I think happens. When we get to a place where we're struggling, we get to a place where we realize, I need God desperately. We need him to forgive us because we did something wrong. We need, it, we need his presence. We need his help because we're struggling. When we get to that place, we're like, I want you in my life. I give my life to you. You are Lord of my life. And then a few weeks or a few months goes by, and all of a sudden, he goes from being your Lord to becoming your 911 operator. Oh, my Lord, I'm in love with, oh, well, I haven't talked to him in a while. Yeah, I don't know, prayer, it's kind of hard, it's weird. I don't know. I go to church every once in a while. I just, I don't know, it makes me feel good, I guess, but I, I don't know. And, and all of a sudden now, he just becomes this distant, I will, I'll pick up the phone when I need you kind of God. That's not what Paul said develops roots. What he said develops roots is as you re- first received him, so you continue to follow him, which means I'm going to follow him to work on Monday, and I'm going to follow him to school on Tuesday, and I'm going to follow him to the gym, and I'm going to follow him because I need a faith that is not just a Sunday faith, but a Monday faith and a Tuesday faith and a Wednesday faith. And a th- do you know what I'm talking about? You have got to develop roots. You say, how do I do that? I'll give you the key. Write it down. How do I develop roots in Christ? Submission to Jesus. Submission to Jesus. Here's, here's the funny thing about submission, you know, because when we're desperate, we're calling them Lord. You're in charge. I give my life to you. It's a mess. Can you clean it up? I need your help. We'll call him Lord then. Here's the interesting thing about submission. Submission is never an issue until there's a disagreement. I mean, it's easy to I submit. It's easy to submit to your government as long as your government doesn't try to make you do something you didn't want to do. It's easy to, to submit to your boss until your boss asks you to do something you don't want to do. It's easy to submit to your teacher or your principal until they're coming down on you because of something you don't want to do. Submission really is only an issue when there's a disagreement. And we can go, oh, I need Jesus as Lord. But let me ask you this. The moment you learn something that he says that contradicts how you want to live, what are you going to do? This is what determines roots in your life, guys. The moment when you realize Jesus says, hey, I want you to love your enemies. I want you to pray for those who speak ill of you. I want you to bless those who got, oh, not her. Mm-mm. All right, no way, Jesus. Oh, Jesus, you're my Lord. Hey, I want you to forgive that person that just cut you down. I want you to forgive that person that hurt you 20 years ago. No way. I couldn't do it. And what we don't realize is that every time we actually reject the very thing that Jesus speaks into our life, we actually stop roots from growing. And we end up with a shallow faith and shallow root system. And then the moment the sun starts to beat down, the moment life gets hard, the moment we start to struggle, we don't have the depth to walk through it. Can I, can I tell you something about growth? Growth comes from conflict. You will not grow. Listen, you can go to the gym every single day and stare at the equipment. But nothing will change unless you embrace the pain of using it. Do you understand what I'm saying? And, and so we need, if we're going to develop roots in Christ, it's going to come down to submission to Jesus and what he says. That's the first area. I want to get planted in the house of the Lord because I want to see flourish. I want things happen. First one, you need roots in Christ. The second one is this. We need roots in community. We need roots in community. If there's anything I learned over this past year, 12 months, is how much we need community, how much we need each other. You know, when, when God made man, 
The only thing he said wasn't good was for him to be alone. Now, he already had a relationship with God. God looked at him and said, the problem is you don't have a relationship with someone like you. We weren't made just for a relationship with God. If you ever heard someone say that, we're also made for a relationship with each other. And I'm asking this question, do you have community? Now, here's the real, don't, don't come back with the real quick answer. Yeah, I'm here. I'm sitting in here. I'm, this is a community. Yes, this is a community. But what I'm talking about when I use the word community, I'm not talking about our church today. I want you to kind of put that out of your mind. I'm talking about when I say authentic, raw, real community, I'm asking this, do you have people in your life that don't just see you on Sunday when you wear a mask, and I'm not talking about the one on your face, okay, but they see you during the week when you're struggling? I'm asking, do you have that kind of community? Do you have people in your life that can see the good and they can call you on your BS? I'm, yeah, I said it. They can call you on moments, on your crap, when they look at you and say, what's wrong with you? And why are you talking to your spouse that way? And why are you disconnecting right now? What we need, I'm talking about a real deep level of community where you have people who will tell you the truth. Do you have friends in your life who look at you and go, you got something in your teeth. Dude, I think you got a cliffhanger. You might want to take care of that. Do you have, we need those kind of people in our lives. In fact, I love Proverbs 27, 17. Let me read this verse to you. It says this, as iron sharpens iron, I love this, so a friend sharpens a friend. As iron sharpens, I, I thought of something. In fact, I want to, I brought a little illustration from my life, my childhood. This is what I picture when I hear Proverbs 27, 17, right? As iron sharpens iron, so one friend, right, sharpens another. Now, some of you might be saying, Pastor, why do you have this? Uh, well, you need to understand something. When I was a kid, I was infatuated with becoming a skilled swordsman. <laughs> infatuated with it. It could be because I grew up watching one of the greatest movies of all time called The Princess Bride. Anybody ever? Can we all, can we all at least agree? If you have never seen it, it's because your parents don't love you. I made sure that my daughters were raised right. And um, I love that movie and all the sword fighting. You know, Wesley, uh, the Dread Pirate Robert, who uh, my favorite scene was when uh, he chases up the giant, Andre, right? The giant, carrying everybody up the cliffs of insanity. And when he gets to the top, he has to fight, right? The Spaniard, Anigo Montoya, right? My favorite. Do you, do you know what I'm talking about that part? And I love how they're, and they start fighting left-handed. And, and then and all of a sudden, one guy laughs, and he said, why are you smiling? He says, because I am not left-handed. And then he starts, and then, you know, Wesley says, yeah, I am not left-handed either. And it's just a great, and I watched that so many times that I was like, I want to be that. Uh. And so when I was a teenager, and I was living in Europe, uh, we went to Spain. That's where Inigo Montoya is from, you know. We went to his hometown, Toledo. And uh, they, had, they had swords there and it was my birthday and I was like I want swords so I bought these two ornate gold Spanish swords uh awesome the only problem was when I bought those I thought for sure my parents are not going to let me sword fight with those because we I'd kill myself or someone you know so I ended up with my money and I bought fencing swords and so I had planned to, to get into fencing that's my plan I was living in Europe at the time and um I planned to get in fencing I bought I got a book on fencing and I started learning all kinds of, you know, terms, a foil and, and about lunging and all these different defenses and all these things, right? Like, just like, just like you loved your Kung Fu and you went like Bruce Lee. I was, I wanted to be like Wesley. And so I, I, I had a sword. And so I would spend, I'm not lying when I got this, I would go outside with like uh, branches and I would, ah, 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 you know what I mean? Like I, I was fighting. And I'm not really sure how good I got. I think I was pretty good. But I don't know because I never felt the feeling of steel against it. I never felt iron against my iron. 
And what, what I'm trying to say is that we can know a lot of spiritual things. We can know a lot about following Jesus. But until you have somebody stick a sword in your face, until you have somebody confront something in your life that isn't right, you see, we need people who will do that. I, I need people that will look at me and go, what's wrong with you? Why do you have such a negative attitude? What's wrong with you? When did you stop believing God and trusting him and walking through this? I need people like that in my life. And you do too. Because listen, we will never grow unless there's some conflict. Unless there's some steel in our face. The Bible tells us that the, the key to this in your life, you want to write this down. How do I develop roots in authentic, real community? Submission to one another. Ephesians 5 verse 21 tells us to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So in other words, in following Jesus, one of, one of the most important things that he says you can do is you need to submit to someone else. You need to have people in your life that will keep you accountable. People in your life that love you and trust you. Now listen, with that, there's a caveat, and I want to make sure to say this. That doesn't mean we just let any and every voice into our life. I'm not going to let every voice out there. We live in a world where we have so many connections and everybody's constantly speaking at me. I'm not taking all of that. I'm only going to take those that I let into my inner circle that I love, that I trust, and I invite them into it. But listen, you got to have some of those people. you got to have someone in your life. I'm asking you, do you have people like that in your life? If not, I want to let you know you can find that here. In fact, we mentioned it already, but we're getting ready. It's a perfect time as we launch into a new season. Season two starts in May. That's when all of our circles start back up. What are our circles? They're small groups of people that we, outside of Sunday. We need Sunday, but I need, I need more than that. That we will get together and we'll talk life and we'll challenge each other. And iron sharpens iron. I need some people that would maybe even wield the Bible with me at times and will kind of go to combat with me a little bit, right? And so I'm telling you, we believe that circles are better than rows. I love this when we get together, but listen, this is not enough. You need more than that. You need roots in Christ. You need roots in community. And let me give you the third one. The third one is this. You need roots in the church. We need roots in Christ, roots in community, and we need roots in the church. Say, weren't we just talking about that? No, I'm talking about it on a different level. I'm amazed at how many times I've heard uh, people express this, this sentiment, this question. I don't know if you ever heard someone say this. Probably have. They'll say, I like Jesus. I'm good with him. I just, I don't like the church. In fact, I would just say, I bet all, many of us have probably felt that way at some point in our lives. Now, the fact that you're here would tell me that you see it valuable. But, but it's this idea, and I think it's kind of even just permeating in our culture, a culture where we're so easily disconnected. It's like, I, I believe, and I like that, but I, man, I don't, I don't do the whole church thing. It takes time and energy, and sometimes I don't like what they say, and I just, uh, I'm not, I don't like that. You know what's interesting is that the language Jesus used when he talked about the church is he would use wedding language. In fact, I don't know if you know this, but the Bible says that when we get to eternity, it's like we're getting ready to go to a wedding feast, like a reception. It's crazy. It's an amazing party. That's what's going to happen when we go to heaven. And one of the things that we learn, Jesus would make reference to himself as the bridegroom. And throughout the New Testament, what we see is that the bride is the church. The church is the bride of Christ. So I want you to see how desperately, how, how important Jesus sees the local church. Do you realize that the local church was the very thing that Jesus said, I'm going to build? That in Acts, when he said, told his followers, wait for the gift of the Holy Spirit, that launched the local church. Do you think the church matters to him? Yeah, it does. It's so much that he says, it's my bride. Now, let me ask you a question, just a simple question. Let's just say you came up to me one day and you said, hey, pastor, I really like you. But your wife? Mm, not so much. 
Now, first of all, no one would ever say that. It would always be the other way around, okay? But let's just say for the sake of argument. Now, now, after you picked yourself up off the floor, we probably would not have a relationship, right? And yet a lot of times that's our posture toward the church. Let me just say this. The church is imperfect. You know why? Because you're here. Because I'm here. And we're imperfect. But there's something important. Listen, not just about personal community. That's what I was talking about before. But corporate community. There's something really important. In fact, Hebrews 10, verse 24 and 25, really speaks to the importance of maintaining this corporate community. It says this, And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together. Well, I don't need it anymore. Hold on. We don't give up meeting together, as some, it says, are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. What's interesting is that was written 2,000 years ago. I think about the first church. There's no way people survived if they did not have each other. He says, we need to make sure, if there's anything I learned in this last year, how important this moment is, how important it is for my faith, for my soul, to have the church, the corporate community to come together to help me to grow in my life. And it says that, listen, if you go, well, it's not for me. Maybe it's not about you. Maybe you're there to encourage someone else. Maybe you're there to spur someone else on. When I, when I heard the word spur each other on, sort of love and good deeds, I was picturing like, I was picturing like right now my, my youngest daughter, she's in track. And so we go to our track meets and we get there and we cheer everybody on. Like we cheer them on. I know there's such short events. We're like, yeah, you know what I mean? And, um, it's fine. I cheer. I even cheer for the kids who aren't mine. I do that, especially the two miler, the thirty two hundred. I will cheer so loud for the person coming in dead last. They got lapped. I know that, but I think to myself, anybody who has the guts to go out and run two miles, that we ought to encourage them and cheer them on and say, "Come on, you can make it to the end." They look like they're about to die. But then, as I read into this passage, you know what I realized? That that's actually not the best picture of what it means to spur each other on. This word spur that's used in the Greek is this word paroxysmus. And it actually literally means to incite. I love this. To incite or irritate. That's not an attract me going, all right, you can do it. To incite or irritate one another. Yeah, that's what it feels like sometimes at church, doesn't it? To inc- we're supposed to incite and irritate. In other words, maybe the corporate community, part of being part of the church is that we get irritated at times and we get incited, not so we know more Bible, but so that we move on toward love and good deeds and serving others and making a difference in our community. Maybe what we need is to be challenged. I got eight people that are liking this. Yeah. No, I don't wanna be challenged when I go to church. I would love it, Pastor, if you would just come say all the things that make me feel good. A lot of times that's what we want. That's not what we need. That's not what we need. How do I grow roots in the church? Let me give you the third one. Submission to spiritual authority. Submission to spiritual authority. That, that God has created authority in our world to help us so that we will grow. But listen, here's what I've found, and I want to lean into this for just a moment. I have found that a lot of times that we as a culture, we tend to reject authority. And that carries over into our spiritual life. You're not telling me what to do. You know, and we're good with submission, like I said, until there's a disagreement. And I've heard all all kinds of things. I've heard people say, I don't like organized religion. If it weren't for organized religion, I hate organized religion. Do you know what I say to that? I say, no, you don't. You can't tell me what, but no, here, here's why I, I actually think that's just code for I reject spiritual authority. It's because I've found that we actually love all the benefits of organized religion, even if we won't be a part of it. 
Oh, I love, every time there's a calamity or disaster, I'm so glad the church, they're so generous and they help out. And I'm so thankful that they gave us gift cards. And I'm so thankful that they brought us food. And I'm so thankful that they did this. And oh, I'm so thankful that there was a space that they enabled us to rent. And oh, I love the fact that I had to have a funeral and I called and there was a pastor who showed up to help our family because we needed that. Or when there was a wedding and I needed somebody to officiate the wedding and there was somebody that showed up. You see, what I've found is that we actually like all the benefits of it. We just reject the spiritual authority of it. Now, I know that there have been some awful things done in the name of religion, awful things throughout the years. There have been awful things, crusades, I could go on and on, just awful, awful things. I understand that. We we have an imperfect world, but it does not mean that we throw everything out. There there is some value. I, I think that one of the big challenges and one of the hesitations that we have to leaning into spiritual authority, in other words, submitting when there is authority that God has placed in our life, is that we, we have a tendency to, to lean back because here's what we'll say, I've been hurt before. And I won't even ask right now, but I imagine that most people that are listening to me watching this right now you, you could probably look at a moment where you say, I've been hurt. Let's just say, I've been hurt by the church. And I don't want to at least address and say that there have been times when pastors and leaders and others have maybe done things wrong or ill or selfish that have caused some hurt. But I, I think we just, I think we kind of use that as a blanket statement a little bit too much. I've been hurt by, by the church. That, that to me is, is just this blanket statement, which I, again, I, I, I wanna, I'm trying, I'm trying to be, as, would you permit me just a little bit of grace right now in this moment where I can just say something like, I'm not saying unfiltered completely, but where I can roll back a little bit of the filter just as your pastor, I love you. And if I could just, and um, I, I've been on both sides of this. I've been a pastor for, oh gosh, I don't even know. How long has it been? 18 years? 17 years? Something like that? Full time for 14 years. And um, I've also been in your seat. I've been at church most of my entire life. I sat on submission to a pastor. I was a worship leader at a church under submission to a pastor. I've been on all sides of this, okay? And what I've seen most of the time I'm not going to say all the time because there are such situations I understand. But what I've seen most of the time is that most of the time when people say that I've been hurt by the church, this is my perspective, it may not be yours, that's fine. I believe that it highlights more spiritual and emotional immaturity than it does bad pastors. I know that's not popular. So you can love me when we're all done. We'll, we'll be good, all right? I, I, know that's not, I know that's not popular. But I'm telling you from my seat, that's what I see. I've seen people who say uh, everything from why do white people like run away? Oh, I've been offended. I'm offended. I was offended by the preaching. Oh, we've had people leave. They get offended. And I understand. I, I'm sometimes a little too real for people. And sometimes I, that's it, you know. But people in general, they get offended because they go to a church and then they hear something they don't like. And rather than working through submission to Christ and submission to community, submission to spiritual authority, church, they're just run away. That's, that's what you do when you get offended. You know what's so nice? We live in a day and age where there's a church on every street corner almost. And I don't like this. I'll go find one that I do like. I'll find one that I do agree with. Now, I understand. Sometimes theologi- if they're theologically amiss, they're not preaching God's word, you should find a different place, okay? But I just want to say this. Most of the time when I come up with stuff to preach, I do it after I study God's word. Because I want to preach God's word, not my word. I might come up with concepts, but the message comes from God's word. And here's what I know, whenever I preach God's word, it cuts. The Bible, it cuts. I understand that. And I didn't make that up. Again, I'm just giving you God's word. Hebrews 4.12 tells us this. Here's what Hebrews 4.12 says. It says, for the word of God is alive and active, and it is sharper than any double-edged fencing sword. They're not double-edged, but you get the point. It penetrates even to dividing the soul and the spirit, joints and marrow, and it judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. So guess what that means? There's going to be times when we're going to gather together corporately, and you're going to hear something that is going to confront 
that is gonna cut deep, that you're gonna go, I don't like this. And I'm asking, like, you wanna know, how do you develop roots? Either there's submission to God's word, there's submission to that, or there's I'm gonna go run away. And, and I've seen over and over, sometimes it's, okay, I'm offended by preaching, okay? I've seen other times where it's, I've been hurt by decision. Most of the time, it's what it is. I've been hurt by decision. That, well, you don't let me in that ministry, and you don't let me lead that group, and you don't let me serve in there, and you don't let me do. I understand that, and I understand that perspective. Can I just tell you as a pastor, we want nothing more, like the last thing I want to do is cause grief to any of you. That's the last thing I ever want to do. The last thing I want to ever have to do is say no. The last thing we ever want to do is go, I'm sorry, but you cannot. I, I understand that. But you know what I've discovered over time is that what someone was offended by one decision toward them, I have found oftentimes the rest of the church is really grateful for. Oh, I, I want to I sing and I want to worship and lead worship there. Hey, you ain't good enough. I'm sorry. There's other places that you could serve, though. Because you're not good enough. I'm no mad. I'm going to go find another church. Let me sing. That's fine. You can do that. Guess what? The rest of you all are saying, thank you, pastor. Thank you so much for not giving that person a microphone. Sometimes people get hurt because we have to do hard things like step people down because their life is not reflecting the spirit of Christ or the spirit of this house. That's, that's not something that we like doing. Please hear me. And I have kind of always been surprised that over my time, I've seen that some of the most immature people tend to be the spiritually deep. You know, they're real spiritual. Spiritually, I mean, they got a lot of verses memorized. They've been in church for a long time. They know how to talk the talk and play the game. And yet the moment they get offended, they don't even do what the Bible says, which is go to the person. They don't even come. You know what they do? They ghost leadership. They disappear and just post on social media instead. Oh, anybody know a new church I can find? And never even have a conversation about it. How mature is that? That's not mature. Can I just ask, listen, sometimes we do get it wrong. Sometimes we mess up. But can I just ask this? If you are ever offended, I'm saying that while we're all healthy and we're all good and we love each other. If you ever are offended by something that we do or say, would you at least give us the courtesy of coming, sitting down and having a conversation instead of just making up your mind, creating a narrative about us and then grabbing your toys and going running to the next place? Just a conversation. By the way, we will be glad. Listen, some people, some people have called us a cult. Let me just say, we're not a cult because we will be glad to release you. I'm not saying that to be mean, I'm not. I'm just saying, if you come and go, I wanna go someplace else because of this, we wanna talk and have a conversation. There's something that we did, you did, is it, can we work it out? Okay, but at the end of the day, I'll be, we'll be glad to release you. Why, why does this matter? Because as pastors, leaders, directors, we carry the weight of everyone that we're called to shepherd. Your problems become our problems. The weight you carry becomes the weight we carry. And, and we love you and we care about you. And if you're looking for a perfect church where there'll never be any problems, it does not exist. This is a family. And if you can be hurt in your family and hurt in your marriage, you will probably get hurt here sometime by someone else, by a staff member, heck, even by me. You may get hurt sometime, okay? But what do mature people do is they go into the conflict because that's where growth comes from. They lean into it and they say, ah, this hurt me, and then we talk it out and we work it out. That's what you do. I just, I wanna say this. I, I, I need to finish. Janice, you can start playing. I gotta stop uh, before I get... So trouble. I, I have met hundreds of pastors, and there have been some who maybe have, through ill motives and selfish ambition and whatever, maybe you felt used or hurt. And if you really do and you can't resolve it, then I think sometimes the best thing to do is to go find another place and be planted.
Okay, let me say that. But I've met hundreds of pastors. And I don't think I've ever once walked away from a conversation or meeting a pastor or talking to him thinking, my gosh, they're probably just out there trying to kill people, trying to hurt people. They're just wielding a sword and they're just, I've just not seen it. I know sometimes we make my, I've made mistakes. I've hurt people. But I want you to understand something about spiritual authority is that it comes with a great weight. And authority is given for the benefit of those under it, not the person with it. That's what authority is given for, that benefit. You know how I know that? Because Jesus looked at his disciples and he said, you are not the Lord, any type of authority over people, but you're gonna serve people. That's what real leadership looks like. And authority is not about throwing your weight around. Like real authority is actually given for the benefit of the people under it. There's someone to cover them and there's someone to protect them and there's someone to lead them and help guide through difficult challenges. That's what authority's for. Listen, if you're a mom and dad, you should know this. You've been given authority over your kids. Not, and you don't go around going, that's oh, good to be dad. Sucks to be you. We don't do that. Parents don't care about that. Parental authority is a weight. It's I want my kids to grow up mature and I want them to be able to handle life on their own. I want them to follow Jesus on their own. And so sometimes I gotta look at them and go, nope, you can't have the keys. Sometimes I gotta look at them and go, you need to go to your room. Sometimes I gotta look at them, I've gotta discipline them. The Bible says that God disciplines those he loves. Sometimes the greatest form of growth that will ever happen in your life will be through conflict and discipline. So the most mature thing that you can do is not run from it, but to step into it, step into it. I just felt like I, I needed to um, apologize for something. And um, I, I just, I thought about the years of me just learning. I, I've been learning, I'm still learning. This whole series, I hope you know, is born out of my journey of growth of my soul. Like, I look back on some of the things that I did as a pastor, and uh, none of them intentionally hurtful or anything. I just realized I, I missed the mark sometimes. And what I, what I felt like I needed to apologize for, not just me, but all the pastors who have been on staff and leaders we've put in place, is there have been times where I think I have... I have not said what I should have said because of fear that you'd get upset and you'd run away. Not usually in preaching, but, but more in just leadership moments. We've not always just looked at you and said, that's the wrong attitude. That's sin. It's gonna mess you up. We're gonna have to step you down. I'm gonna have to ask you to not serve in this for a while, but I'd love to meet with you and work toward restoring. We'll always do that. But I, I realize that I think it's a fear of man that has sometimes caused us to shy back from actually sharing the hard truth in love. And what I wanted to kind of commit to you, and I've told our staff, we've been working through this, is what does it look like for us to make sure that we're brutally honest in love, brutally honest in love, that when we see something that is out of alignment to God's word, out of alignment to the spirit of this house, it's good for this house and good for the people in it, that we're gonna say something. And if you get mad and run, that's fine. But I hope today you at least heard that real growth comes not when you run from place to place to place, but real growth comes in your life when you get planted, when you submit to Christ and you submit to community and you submit to spiritual authority. That's where real growth comes from. It says the righteous will flourish like palm trees and will grow like the cedars of Lebanon. How? Planted in the house of the Lord. They will blossom in the courtyard of God. So my question to you, and I wanna close, are you gonna be a plant or a transplant? See, one of the things that I think I've had the, the benefit of in my life is that I've basically only been in two churches my entire life. And I see the value 
of deep roots and a foundation, not just in me, but in my kids. That my daughters have grown up in one church. And through all the conflict and all the hardship and all the pain, for them to see how we would respond and how we, we would resolve to say, we're planted here. God's called us here. We're not going anywhere. Through all of that, do you know what I see? I see a foundation that is being built under them. There, there is something beautiful that happens when you get planted, when you don't say, I'm just gonna jump from place to place, but roots can begin to grow. And it's my prayer, it's my desire for all of us that we will grow deep roots. It might get ugly and messy at times, but that's life. That's how we grow, amen? Come on, will y'all stand to your feet with me and let's pray. Father, I just, I pray today, Lord, for your grace, Lord, as we, as we process what it means to develop roots. Lord, I, I wanna have deep roots and I want this for everyone in my church to have deep roots in you, Jesus. Not just a Sunday faith, but a real faith. God, that we can weather any storm. Lord, I, I just, I pray right now for someone that maybe needs to establish some roots. In this moment, just while we're praying, I, I don't know if maybe somebody watching this now or you're in the room and you need to surrender your life to Jesus. What does it mean to say yes to Jesus? Full surrender. Not just, you're my meal ticket to heaven, but you're my Lord. Maybe some of you have been around the church, you've been around Christ, but you've never really set roots in him. It starts when you embrace him as Lord. Today, if you wanna do that, you can. It's a decision by faith. If that's you, I just wanna invite you, just you can pray this prayer with me. This is, my, this is me introducing you to him. It's the beginning of a real relationship that's gotta carry over from not just Sunday, but it's gotta carry over into the week. If today you wanna do that, I wanna invite you just to pray a prayer with, with me. You say, today, Jesus, I confess you to be my Lord. I need saved. I ask you to forgive me of my sin. Today, I'm coming to you and I'm surrendering my life to you. God, I, I'm inviting you into my life and I'm saying, will you lead me? Will you be the Lord of my life? Not just today, but every day moving forward. I receive you now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, Come on, let's just thank God for his word today. Thanks so much for tuning in to this message. I hope that it encouraged you and inspired your faith. If God is doing something in your life, would you take a moment and let us know? We wanna connect with you and we wanna be able to pray for you. All you have to do is shoot us an email to hello at the x.church or you can always send us a DM on one of our social media platforms. And if you know somebody that would also be encouraged by this very message, why not take a moment and just share it with them right now? And as always, I wanna say thank you to every single person who so generously financially supports this ministry so we can continue to get messages like these out to people all over the world. We believe God is building something special and you're a significant part of it. Until next time, have a great day.